So I've been thinking a lot about the way that we consume art and media lately. Mm -hmm. And I've been really curious to talk with someone who also helps create said media, art, video, you name it. Do you think that the way that we have been consuming music, film, video games, any of the creative varieties, do you think it is beginning to lose its sparkle? And I mean that in the terms of creating just for the sake of creating or whether it be selling things or trying to make a profit. Do you feel like the way that some individuals are creating the content that we consume have lost the reason for why they're doing it? In some ways, um, I think a challenging thing is just the fact that we exist within capitalism. <laughs> and no matter what we do, like creativity through the filter of capitalism is less creative because of that. Um, like it's not a bad thing to try and like make something that people like. It's a different thing to try and make something that will make you money. Um, it's very challenging to thread the needle on those. And it's a completely different thing to just make something because you want to. <laughs> and some of the greatest art, or at least that, you know, I personally consider to be great art, appears to have been made with the privilege of not having to worry about whether it makes money or not. Um, not everyone can do that, obviously. There's either a, you know, highly vested, vested interest of some other large company, depending on the medium that it is. Film is very expensive. Video games are very expensive. Um, music doesn't have to be as much anymore. But it's still a challenging thing to be able to just like make a thing and put it out. Um, and then it's also challenging to then like have it be out there and hopefully like people see it or wanting people to see it or, or whatever it is that the rest of that process is putting something out there and nobody does see it or nobody reacts to it or whatever it's um and so yeah it's like maybe it is personally or whatever it is that we're experiencing collectively in this like post-covid world but like we're we're too wrapped up in a lot of things <laughs> uh yeah. What are your thoughts? <laughs> so I think. Okay, so I actually had a conversation leading up to this conversation with an individual. So um, I'm going to disclose part of your studio to the listeners here. You have a Doctor Strange poster. Sure. And I saw that when I came in. I love Doctor Strange. I love the story. I'm not a super diehard fan, but I love the mythos behind yeah. Doctor Strange. 
And I was talking to one of my family members who's a big Marvel fan and, you know, wanted to get me as caught up as possible for all the movies just so that, you know, we could have a conversation about the cinematic universe. And Mm -hmm. I've been doing my best to catch up on what, 20 plus videos now, (laughs) 20 (laughs) movies. Um, And I did like the first Doctor Strange Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was a great story. I loved it. And just a few days ago, I watched the second movie. Yeah. I'm dog sitting, didn't have anything going on. I put it on. And story-wise, it was a followable, followable story. But I straight up told that family, I was like, unfortunately, I didn't enjoy the movie. And it kind of it kind of hurt my soul a little bit. And <laughs> they wanted to know why. They were like, it's the same formula. It's the same MCU secret sauce, blah, blah, blah. And I was like something was wrong with the storytelling Mm -hmm. and I don't, I can't exactly put my finger on what it is, but the way that I phrased it was there was no sparkle to the storytelling. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, why do you say that jazz? And I'm like, well, it's the same reason that I can go read a fan fiction Mm -hmm. about Dr. Strange and have an infinitely better time experiencing that than whatever happened making that movie. Mm -hmm. And I have been really looking at what happens in, in creativity. Like you said earlier, not all of us are privileged to be able to make something for the, the pleasure of, of creating that, that project. And I started really thinking to myself, you know, just with the music I listen to TV that I happen to watch sometimes And I find myself not enjoying a lot of the more mainstream content lately. Mm -hmm. And not because it's, oh, it's mainstream and everyone's liking it. Because don't get me wrong. I I love top 40 music. I love listening to the radio to find out what's new and checking out new and trending things. Because there's always something new to discover and Mm -hmm. say yes to. But I've really been thinking a lot lately about how different some of those things can be if if the financial compensation and livelihoods weren't attached and, and, and fueled by those things. Mm -hmm. And it made me really wonder what we could be potentially missing out on. Um, Just a little bit of backstory. Um, One of the big reasons I did not drive harder on becoming a successful musician in my youth or or working full time in a studio was because I was scared to death that I couldn't make a living off of it. Mm-hmm. And in a way that prohibited me and caused me to, you know, live in fear and not pursue my passions. But it also freed me because at one point I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this regardless of whether I get paid or not. If I have to work some job that doesn't really align with my passion just so I can still do this. Mm-hmm we're going to make it happen. And in those times I found myself making products that I felt really good about Mm -hmm. because there wasn't that stress and restraint about whether or not it was going to put food on my table. And again, not everyone's going to have that opportunity. There's going to be individuals that are doing this because that's what's going to pay the rent. That is what is going to make the money happen. But when we are looking not from the individual, but through group productions and, you know, AAA games and multi-million dollar film and whatnot. At what point could we remove the profits and the income and and find a better quality storytelling? Mm-hmm. 
scenario. That's that's where I've been in my mind a lot lately. Yeah, uh, this is actually something my wife and I talk about a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, we're like, I guess I don't want to like give too much away, but we're in the process of like scheming a YouTube channel, uh, which does film analysis through a rewrite format. So it's like, here's a film that we maybe enjoyed, but like think could be better. Or here's a film that was really bad, but it had really good elements. And here's how we want to make, how we would see it as being better. And, you know, we watch a lot of like media analysis and video essays and stuff like that. Um, and so the critical lens has been, you know, heightened over time. And I think kind of overall, we all have gotten a better critical lens. Um, but like one thing that we focus on a lot and that we, we, enjoy about just media anyways is actually like the behind the scenes because she and I are both creative people. We know what the behind the scenes looks like and what it takes to get a thing just done <laughs> and the amount of work and the amount of revisions, the amount of whatever it is. And so, uh, there is a lot involved in like we have a thing and we need to get it across the finish line in order to just like make some money back for all of the investment that we've put into this thing um but you know this thing happened this other thing happened this other thing happened so we're we're just gonna have to put it out and it is as good as it can be given the circumstances and you know, what we see on the other side is this like movie that we're just like, I don't know what happened there. I don't like, it. I didn't like it. And like, there's so much behind it that it's just like, well, actually good. So like multiverse of madness specifically, um, for whatever reason, Scott Derrickson, the original director of the first Doctor Strange, uh, didn't, uh, like he abandoned the project. He did not want to do Dr. Strange too. I did not know that. Yeah. So it wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so like they had gotten a different writer and a different director. And the way that like all of this stuff kind of goes through is that like, there's the creative people, right? The people that like really want to just make something cool and, are just begging for the resources to just make the thing that they've been wanting to make. Uh, but then there's the giant corporation that is Disney and Marvel and all of that. And it is a consistent conflict of like, this is what we want to do. And it's like the corporation is like, yeah, uh, the third act is already done. Like we already previsited it. We already, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the case for a multiverse. Um, but like, Black Widow had this problem. Shang-Chi had this problem uh, that basically a bulk of the puzzle pieces were already laid out before like the creative people were allowed to be involved. And it's like, 
yeah, don't worry about the third act. And it's like, but I need to be able to control that. Um, and so it is very challenging to be a creative person under the control or rule or micromanaging of a giant corporation that is like, whatever you do, this still needs to make money for us. And so you can't piss these people off. You can't piss these people off. Uh, we want to have sufficient enough fan service to be able to do this. Um, and then somehow now, everyone, everyone's pissed off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, now that we've made this impossible course for you to go through, now make a good thing. Now be creative. <laughs> and so, yeah, that can be really challenging. And so on the other side, people are like, I don't, I don't know what you were trying to do here. I was like, yeah, kind of, they didn't either. <laughs> so, um, and then the other part is that like, even the creative people themselves may not really know what the spirit of the thing actually is. <laughs> and this is kind of one of my like big, I don't know, like core ideals in creativity is that like what are you trying to say or do what is the theme what is like the main core idea of this thing that is sort of the whole point um and so again using this example the first doctor strange was it's not about you that was like the whole thing it like really nailed it in until like the mentor character specifically said it out loud to the main character <laughs> and so like the whole thing is laid out to be like oh this contributes to the theme this contributes to the theme here's a juxtaposition that is supposed to make the main character contribute to the theme and it's like all these sorts of things that like really nail in this thing and that by the end of the film the main character learns the big lesson and then seemingly with the sequel like he just unlearned that lesson and then had to learn it again. <laughs> um, and so uh, other backstory stuff, Sam Raimi didn't watch WandaVision. Uh, so the main villain or like the person that you've forced to be the main villain in your film, um, like you didn't watch their character arc to get to this point in your own film. I don't know. That, that might be important. <laughs> that makes me think about earlier in the conversation when we were talking about like inherent evil. <laughs> and that's actually when I stopped watching the second movie, like when they had brought Wanda on and I was like, wow, like this, this train was already heading South. We're just falling off the map at this point. And I didn't finish WandaVision, but I got to the last two or three episodes. But at that time, I was like, wow, like I have an understanding of this character and she's not bad in the way that people think. It's this self-preservation. It's this preservation of her family, you know, try not to spoil anything for anyone. But ultimately, she was doing the best she could with the situation. She was given an impossible choice to make and still had to go forward with making a choice and when I saw her in the 
Multiverse of Madness, she was just painted at this as this completely just big bad evil guy. And I was like, wow, you did this character no service. Like yeah. it's none whatsoever. Like it was just unwatchable at that point. Yeah. So granted, Sam Raimi did not write the movie. Uh that was Michael Waldron. It's like I'm I'm incredibly nerdy. I've done way too much research. This is on our list as far as rewrites. Um, and so uh, Michael Waldron, I don't know if he watched WandaVision. Uh, he wrote Loki. Um, and I have my problems with Loki as well. So uh, <laughs> the, the TV show Loki. Um, and I don't know, like even watching the like behind the scenes stuff for multiverse of madness. I'm like seeing the glaring errors that just like creatively was just so yeah. Uh, there's the problems of having a giant corporation give you all of these requirements. Then there's having all of the creative turmoil happening in between where uh original vision wasn't involved so you involve new people to try and scramble to make the new project um and then hubris <laughs> so just giving someone carte blanche to be able to like do whatever they want regardless of like the rest of the whole thing like these the one big challenge of specifically the MCU is that this is a whole story that is continuing. And so you want to honor the fans, but honor the characters uh, by actually following through with what their character arc is. Um, and it seems like Mike Waldron did not, do the work to understand the media that he was working with. Um, I'm going to try and extrapolate this out to like a greater thing to talk about the bigger thing that we're talking about, which is just like the spark in media, which is that like stuff's complicated and the more complicated it becomes the more separated you get from the heart, the soul of the thing that you're really trying to do or what like the whole point of a creative endeavor is, which is just to like make a thing that, I don't know, has you experience something, makes you feel something, makes you at least learn something like, all of these sorts of things that is like why we do creative things. Um, the further away we get from that, the more soulless it will seem. And yeah, the, it's a challenging thing to involve like hundreds, maybe even thousands of people in a thing and still have it have some sort of cohesive soul. Um, and so, yeah, the MCU is starting to feel pretty soulless because of all of that complexity. Uh, the Assassin's Creed games feel pretty soulless because it's like, I don't know if you ever sat through the credits <laughs> for an Assassin's Creed game. I imagine they're endless. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and I mean, it's great. It's a beautiful thing that like so many people can like work on a thing and contribute to a thing. There's so many little details involved in these Assassin's Creed games and everything, but like, it's also pretty soulless. <laughs> As a uh, fellow gamer and MMO player, I can 100% oh. agree. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Don't get me started <laughs> on uh, ESO, Final Fantasy, or any of the other uh, big titles because I'm salty. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's a challenging thing. And as kind of weird as it is, and I was actually talking to my wife about this last night, uh, that like sometimes there's just like people that have the capability to just make stuff because they can. And then they just kind of half-ass something or just like put something out and it's like, cool, this will make me some money so that I can do the next half-ass thing. Um but, like, there's lots of people that are working underneath that that are really creative, have a bunch of cool, interesting ideas. And if you just, like, stop to, like, hey, what do you have to contribute? What is your crazy cool idea that you've been wanting to do that you haven't gotten the opportunity to do? Um, and giving those people the ability to make the thing that they want you know not everyone has to have a cool crazy idea um a lot of times people are happy being i don't know art technicians in some way there's people that work in the industry or like animation uh my wife and i talk about animation a lot yeah there's people that are just like doing the groundwork of like I put textures on characters. It's what I do. I make them look realistic. And whatever it is that the director tells me to do, like I try and make it look its best. And it's like, cool. It's just Tuesday. Like, <laughs> uh, And then there's some people that are like, yeah, I do work on this thing. And yeah, I do show up every day. But I also have like a cool thing that I want to do. And it's like, cool. Maybe for the next project, the the person with all the money and power that like is considering just half-assing their next project could give the power to someone that has a cool creative idea and it's like yeah uh it's still going to continue to be tuesday for everyone else but for this person they're getting to make the thing that they really wanted to do and just like lifting people up all around you is a really neat thing that can be done but i don't know uh kevin hart can just put out another half-assed comedy and like make his millions again and she Uh, so it sounds like you do believe that there is a chance for a course correction in the way that we are storytelling and that's really the the big topic that I've been just blabbing to everyone about is storytelling, how we're sharing mm-hmm. stories, how we're connecting with people. Do do you believe that there is a space in that correction or that that turn of path in giving the power of storytelling to what would commonly be the listeners or recipients of those stories, um, i.e. fan fit corrections and things like that. Not necessarily fan wise, 
because we have seen how <laughs> uh, <laughs> when the fans get what they want, it's not actually what they needed. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, Star Wars. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that like we can do everything we can to like, is this what you want? Can this is what you wanted, right? And like, no matter what, like they're not going to be happy. And so sometimes it's better to just like, uh, I don't know, whatever people's, everyone has a hot take about the last Jedi, but like the last Jedi tried to do something new with it. Um, and it like went hard in a direction and it like made a decision. And I think that regardless of what you think about the movie itself, that is already like a better direction for what it was instead of just like, no way, please love us. Please give us your money still. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so not necessarily fans, but fans that are like in it. Right. So like whoever the, you know, the texture person is or just like a lighting guy or like the assistant to the assistant to the cinematographer or whatever, like there's creative people all around in whatever industry. Um, and they have cool things that they want to do. They have cool new creative ideas and they know how the stuff works. Um, so you can't just give the keys to like the person who has proven that they're the biggest super fan because that doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to make a video game or a movie or a TV show. Uh, you can give the keys to the biggest super fan that still knows how to actually make the thing and they can actually pull it off. <laughs> um, and I think there is a way of doing that and kind of like with every analysis that I do, it's more of a meta structural situation that needs to shift, not necessarily just individuals making decisions um, because individuals can make decisions all they want. But if there's still a giant corporation looming over it being like, no, you still can't do that. Then it doesn't matter what the individuals decide <laughs> because then there won't be any money for it. Right. No, I agree. I have a follow-up question to this to, <laughs> sure. to reinforce the question. So have you heard of a program called Dreams? I have, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so the Dreams that we may be both familiar with, and it might be two different things, is actually a PlayStation mm -hmm. video game. Yeah. I had the great pleasure of discovering and playing that during the pandemic, and it basically took me from oh I like making sound that could be potentially used for video games but also now I know that I understand how to do like physics placements for mm. sound in video games and I spent a good two years just learning the ins and outs until I was sick of it and couldn't play it anymore well because you are aware of dreams I'm curious to know if you are aware of the young budding developer who had taken the solo task mission to try and create an avatar game I did hear about that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 
I can't remember the individual's name. I don't know if he ever released it for demo or not mm. or how far along it is or even if he got a cease and desist. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. But I wanted to bring him up and talks about this. And this is an either or. So mm. would you rather? <laughs> would you rather see an Avatar video game produced by someone like EA or any of the AAA titles? Or would you rather try to play an Avatar game that was completely created by one individual? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd rather see the one by that individual um, because of that freedom and because the, like, you know, I guess going off of the thing I said earlier is that, you know, this isn't just a super fan this is a super fan that has done the work to like be able to know how to pull it off. And so, yeah, let him pull it off <laughs> and like just support him doing the thing. And instead of just having a giant corporation breathe down your neck, instead let creative people be creative people. That's one of the biggest like, mantras in like film and media critique that I have is just let creative people be creative people uh, because yeah that's how you get the soul into it and so yeah let this person make the thing I'm sure that probably Mike and Brian themselves of the last airbender team the creators would be very happy with that um but they're also like you know deep in making their own thing and so like yeah they can't be fully involved in the thing but like they're well used to handing things off to other people and be like i trust that you understand the spirit of this thing and other people have written books and comic books and all this sort of stuff with that source material and i think they're happy with although i'm not really happy about what happened to with azula's mom that was weird but <laughs> um yeah i don't know like it it's better to yeah let creative people be creative people and i understand that corporations have invented vested interest in making sure that their intellectual property isn't like abused or diminished or tarnished by someone else without their consent um but i think the creative individuals know how to care for the thing because they like it a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome i Really like that take. That got me thinking a little bit about uh, podcast we podcast work we do at our studio. We mm -hmm. do not charge anyone who is in the workshop program mm -hmm. any fees. They get to go in and use that studio for free. They get to um, have all the work edited and returned and broadcasted by me and all of this. And when I started going into it, I was like, wow, uh, people are going to abuse this. They're going to just take it and run and not give credit where it's due. And it said, how is this going to work? But then as time went on, 
and I saw the just really amazing things that people are doing with their projects that we're assisting with. Like it kind of hit me. I was like, wow, maybe it's not the money part of it. Maybe it is just the the creative freedom mm-hmm. that's been lacking in people's lives. And, you know, for some of those individuals, it could have been a bar- cost barrier, whether or not they could get in the studio. But once we even took that equation out and that none of that was a worry for them and that they could just do the things they wanted to do. We got some really cool programming out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like the, I always kind of talk about in any endeavor, be it creative or otherwise, it's like time, money and network. Um, so you can not have any money, but have all the time in the world and make a thing to like completion that you can be happy with because you spent all the time and you were all the way involved in that thing. Uh, you can have a lot of money and it's like, all right, I want you to do this thing. Here's the money to make it. Um, and then there's network and it's like, I may not have a lot of money, but I have a lot of friends that can help me make this thing and we can do this thing together. Um, and everything is kind of like a balance of those three things. Um, I don't know if anyone else has any like counter to that. This is just something that I figured out over time. Um, and so a lot of times, uh, especially with podcasts, um, people that want to start a podcast hit the first barrier, which is just like, what is audio? (laughs) Um, And for you guys to really like take that barrier away and it's like, all right, well, I still have to think about what audio is in order to make a podcast because it is an audio product. But like now that I don't have to worry about like gain staging and mic placement and all of the tiny technical things that you and I have to deal with with a podcast, then they can like, ooh, what can I do with this thing? And they're far closer to the spirit of the thing without having to necessarily go through the kind of rigorous training that we've gone through to be able to get to the point that we can do what we want to with audio. Um, And yeah, the less barriers there are to making a thing, the more interesting things we all get. And so something like dreams, um, a lot of people may not have been able to develop a game uh, with whatever resources they had because like I don't have a huge PC. I don't know anything about programming. I don't know anything about what's Blender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been learning Blender by the way and uh I'll wait till you get to Vroid. Ooh wee. Oh. <laughs> stick with Blender. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like that's a huge barrier to just like all right I don't know how to get a thing to do a thing. I don't even know how to make 
a thing or just like a character or something and like getting it to like communicate with the controller, getting like all the like tiny little things that you don't really consider whenever you're playing a video game. But like instead, here's dreams where it's like we did a lot of the legwork for you. Here's an interface that you can work with that allows you to make a thing. Um, it's still going to take some learning, but you don't, yeah, just the barrier to entry is so much less daunting. <laughs> I so very badly wish that we could take the logic interface in dreams and, and for our listeners, the, the logic is the, you press the button and this thing happens or, uh, this, uh, area, if you walk into it, the character asset takes damage and whatnot just the whole physics within the video game how i wish we could apply that even just into everyday physics classrooms mm. like oh, it'd be amazing yeah. so so fun i just oh i'm such a big fan i have one final question for you then in your opinion what is the relationship between time and sound? I wrote a piece during my master's in composition called Time and Sound. Uh, <laughs> um, I basically used 12-tone serialism to uh, restructure a system for percussion. So I just tried doing like outside of pitch, uh, having generative systems through which rhythms and sounds would happen in a serialized manner. Uh, that's not necessarily going to a point that I was moving towards. It's more that like, it's kind of interesting that you said time and sound specifically because I have a piece named that. Uh, <laughs> but I have thought about time and sound. Um, for example, um, was that a couple of weeks ago now? Um, not, not last Friday, but the Friday before that I played a show and whenever you play a song that you've played so often that like it's automatic and you have like other thoughts happening while you are still in the middle of performing, <clears throat> I noticed how the, I don't know if it's like adrenaline or just like the flow of performance, there is a time dilation that happens when you're in the middle of a thing. And it was weird because I was performing this song and I'm like, is this song this slow? This feels really slow, but it couldn't have been because I was playing to a track and it's the same tempo that it's been every time that I've played it. And so like, as it was happening, I was noticing the time dilation within my own mind <laughs> and how in those things like I could have done maybe more within it or like 
oh, this is how like musical skills develop. You get so good at a thing that like you have more space between the time. <laughs> um, and yeah, like time is required for music. It's part of the medium <laughs> that sound is vibrations and vibrations are measured over time. It has to. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's a bit of like what we're experiencing. It's a bit of what, uh, how we perceive time and what can happen within it. And you can also see examples of this in different genres. Punk music is really fast. Songs tend to be like a minute to two minutes, you know, really epic uh, operatic length punk songs at five minutes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but like there's so much happening in a really small amount of time. Um, then you have like genres like trance where it's like, here's a 17 minute long experience. And if you're really in it, like that just goes by, but like, it's, it's a whole thing that you're experiencing. You're going through different worlds and universes and everything as it all happens. Um, and so time dilation doesn't just happen in like, the shrinking sense where you can see more within a smaller amount of time. You can also experience less in a longer amount of time. And so uh, how to achieve these things is a matter of skill <laughs> and the intent of doing so uh, can be considered. So, yeah, it's just like, uh, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about music conceptually because it's what I do, but like, it's another tool to put in your composer's toolbox to be like, oh, I can do things with time, um, and thinking specifically about time and what can be experienced within a certain amount of time how I can mess with tempo and rhythm and the spacing between notes and how many notes are there, the spacing between notes like pitches. And uh, one final thing is just that like pitch is time if you zoom in enough. <laughs> and so uh, that's a neat thing to consider as well. And then, yeah the creativity that ensues from just unlocking those capabilities within just like knowing that that's possible. Do fun stuff with that too. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. But that was just like a rambly thing. No, was, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That, that led me to one final thing. MIDI. Do you love it or hate it? I love MIDI. I almost work exclusively in MIDI. Really? Yeah. Um, so, the <laughs> the funny thing about being a composer, and I call myself a composer first, um, 
is that, and I mean, even just like audio producers, uh, we are control freaks. We have so much control over everything. We can manipulate time and when things happen. And uh, as a composer, I like having control over every single little thing. And I trust the computer to recreate sounds much more efficiently than I can. And so I can, you know, think of a melody line or whatever. And I'm sure I could play it out on keyboard. I have enough keyboard skills to do so. I find myself more often <laughs> clicking in to the piano roll. Not because I don't have the ability <laughs> to play it, because I can't. Um, but I know that it is perfect <laughs> whenever I click it into the piano roll and I can get exactly what I want. So yeah, it's a bit of a curse, but I love MIDI. <laughs> Same. I try not to fall into analog purism at any point. I also, a lot of my foundation in, in music production came from uh, DJs that worked on vinyl or did beat making with, uh, just samples like sample based looping that's uh, that's my strong suit um i like to create loops and then build upon those and i i very much am a sample based but also you know i had to learn midi and i have this great appreciation and there's a lot of times i hate it but there's a lot of times i tell myself the next great composer of like classical notoriety just timeless is going to be someone that works with midi yeah yeah absolutely and i mean we're we're seeing that now and i mean uh contemporary classical music is being dragged kicking and screaming into the future whether they like it or not there's just like they're going to have to acknowledge that computers and speakers are going to be on stage with orchestras and wind symphonies <laughs> i just want an edm symphony to happen so bad like i'm i'm waiting it exists uh, really yeah yeah i i can't remember the composer's name um but yeah there's absolutely like things that have been done in that front there's also actually uh more in art sphere uh patrick conlon did uh do you know patrick conlon um name's familiar yeah he he works at ACM. He also does. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Onyx Lane is, um, uh, him and Christina Giacona's, uh, music audio something company. Um, but Patrick has a orchestra piece, uh, that I think is called Wub Wub or something. And he like just tried making dubstep with an orchestra and just like, how do I do these moves that are done in dubstep through these instruments i need to follow that like immediately yeah. like <laughs> yesterday i'm not here for it thank you for exposing yeah, yeah. me to that that's great um but like so yeah there's definitely people doing it um and of course like with any sense of progress in any industry or medium or whatever there's people being like no like whatever happened to sitting in a practice room and like making sure I like play all my notes perfectly like a machine. 
you can't have machines do that. <laughs> it's like, well, I can. And also you're here too. <laughs> so um, I think a lot of the confusion in that front is that people don't acknowledge that things can be yes and instead of no but <laughs> or whatever it is, is that like, not you anymore. We're going over here. And it's like, what about you get to be a part of this new thing too? Uh, and maybe sometimes people self exclude and it's like, oh, if there's going to be a computer involved, I'm not going to contribute my violin skills. Womp womp. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, well, I guess you're not going to be like recording music at all let me go get the rubber reels <laughs> from like yeah. the 1800s here we go <laughs> yeah <laughs> because yeah um nothing you hear is real <laughs> it's been uh, turned up it's been compressed it's been eq'd it's been denoised everything that you hear you know there's been a multitude of takes nothing is real uh, like time <laughs> it's an illusion yeah <laughs> um yeah and so everything that you hear is just like a lot of work put into this small product of time uh which is neat and it's cool that we can do that um because as we were talking about like barriers to entry um now you don't have to be a guitar virtuoso to be able to record guitars in your thing it's like oh i thought of a melody line to play on guitar it's like cool i'm gonna take 20 takes to do it and like i compiled the best five and what you hear is the zombie version of my best five takes it's like cool it sounds good good job <laughs> yeah um make the things that you want to there's less barriers every day <laughs> yay hooray <laughs> um thank you for doing this with me um uh, sorry i talked most of the time <laughs> no no it's been a pleasure i i really liked hearing your thoughts i think it was a a nice ebb and flow because in the first segment you know you were asking me a lot of questions <laughs> and and then i was asking you questions i think it's an equivalent exchange sure sure uh yeah so once again, where can people find you and your things and support you and your things? Absolutely. Possibilities Inc. is a good place to start here in Oklahoma City. Jazzbot underscore Talkspot on Instagram. Or if you happen to be on Discord, you can look me up with my gamer tag, Sapphire Serif. Cool. Um, are you in the BitDef Discord? You know, there's a BitDef Discord. I need to be. Yeah. Um, I'll send you a link. Um, <laughs> by the way, listeners, there's a bit depth discord. Uh, it's not like active all the time, but when it is, it gets like really cool in there. So, yeah. join us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, also just support Jasmine and all of her things. Uh, <laughs> I'm Santiago Ramones. Jazz in the house. <laughs> is there a different thing that I can put at the end of this? for uh, that is your music or sounds <laughs> let me give you the audio remake i just did 
for the Rings of Power promo trailer. Cool. I was like, hmm, maybe I can do this better. Yeah. So that's awesome. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> Sweet. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can support me directly by buying my music on Bandcamp. I'm working on Hypothetical, my first singer-songwriter album. So if you'd like to hear that at some point, there are lots of ways to support me on my website. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me to hear what you have to say, and it lets others know what to expect better than I could ever explain. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I always end my podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.